This is Primal Screen, a weekly radio show airing Monday evenings on Triple R. Primal Screen is about movies, from the ones on the big screen to the ones you stream. Hope you enjoy the podcast version and feel free to get in touch via the Primal Screen Facebook page or the Triple R website. Primal Screen, a Triple R film criticism show and podcast. Uh, my name's Flick Ford. I'm joined in the studio by Sally Christie. How are you, Flick? I'm good, thanks, it's Sal. Always, it's our second time in the studio together in a year. It's very exciting. <laughs> We're still so excited, aren't we? I feel like a little... I know. Like it's Christmas Day yep. all over again. Um, and we have a special guest reviewer, Will Cox. Welcome, Will. G'day, Flick. How are you? I'm good. I'm good. good. I'm also very excited to be in a room that is not in my house. <laughs> it's nice, isn't it? <laughs> Any excuse to actually leave my house, I'll, I'll gladly take. Um, so, just a little bit of news. Um, Melbourne Queer Film Festival, MQFF, is going to finish up tomorrow night. So, um, make sure you check it out. The MQFF actually started in 1991, so it's been going for a very long time. It's the biggest and oldest queer film festival in Australia. And if you need some inspo, uh, you all spoke to Spiro last week, did you? We had a great chat with Spiro and talked about some of our favourites that we'd seen at the Queer Film Festival and Spiro gave us some recommendations. So, yeah, I think that's up on demand now on our podcast. So if you're looking for some queer film festival recommendations we've got a bunch for you there yeah Mm. and you might get some more recommendations tonight because we're going to be talking about new releases that we've got um that are out now so you can go you know you need a date night you just need a night away from everyone else um you want to be in a confined space for a little longer (laughs) Um, but a different confined space (laughs) it's always exciting (laughs) with more comfortable chairs Reclinable, reclinable chairs. Um, yeah, so for our new release special tonight, we're going to be talking about Shaka King's Judas and the Black Messiah. About, um, it's a film about what happens when FBI informant William O'Neill infiltrates the Illinois chapter of the Black Panther Party to gather intelligence on Chairman Fred Hampton. Um, I actually uh, introduced the Triple R subscriber screening for this film, so I'm pretty excited about this. If you went along to that, you may have seen me. Um, we're also going to be talking about Azazel Jacobs' um, film French Exit, which is based on Patrick Dwight's novel, DeWitt's novel of the same novel, uh, the same name. Um, gosh, I need a third coffee today, it's I think. It's, it's okay. Yeah, I feel like I'm still warming up. Sorry, sorry, everyone. A bit dusty. Um, so it follows a widowed New York socialite and her aimless son who moved to Paris after she spends the last of her husband's inheritance. And finally, this is a film that Will Cox actually got me onto, Amy Poehler's new film, Moxie, which is a Netflix new release. It's about a shy teenager who publishes an anonymous zine calling out sexism at her school. Um, but let's get kick off with our very first uh, film, and here's a little snippet of it. 18 months for the stolen car. Five years for impersonating a federal officer. 
or you can go home. The Black Panthers are forming a rainbow coalition of oppressed brothers and sisters of every color. Their aim is to sow hatred and inspire terror. I will learn all that I can. I These ain't no terrorists. You can murder a liberator, but you can't murder a liberation. You can murder a revolutionary, but you can't murder a revolution. That is Shaka King's Judas and the Black Messiah. It's a biographical drama about real-life FBI informant William O'Neill, or Wild Bill, as he gets called in the film, um, played by Lakeith Stanfield, who is a personal favourite of mine. Um, So William infiltrates the Chicago chapter of the Black Panthers under the instruction of special agent handler Roy Mitchell, played by Jesse Plemons, to target the charismatic chairman uh, Fred Hampton, played by Daniel Kluwer, who you just heard in that clip. Um, so there's kind of, it's, this casting has, um, you know, they're all very like big names at the moment. Clue you would have seen in Get Out, um, Black Panther, and more recently Queen and Slim. Plemons, um, of course, I'm thinking about ending things. Um, earlier films include Bridge of Spies and The Master. And Stanfield is from Atlanta, Sorry to Bother You, Uncut Gems and Knives Out. This is Shaka King's Second feature um, after his 2013 feature debut, Newlyweeds. It's been nominated for a whole host of awards, which I'm sure we'll dig into very soon. Um, so, I don't know. I, I was at the subscriber screen, which was a little while ago. Um, will, did you see this one recently or you were, you were also it, at that one? It was remember. a week or two ago. <laughs> yeah, But it's okay. stuck with me because it's... Um, it's outstanding. It, it really is. Yeah. yeah. I'm it, still, like I saw it at the start of the month and I'm still uh, processing it, I suppose is the best way to put it's it. It's an intense experience, isn't mm. it? What, um, yeah, I think it's, it's, a, it's one of those things and I feel like we always step into this territory when we talk about biopics, especially when there's this very real... Um, history and present um, issues that come up and it's just like the responsibility of these films to deliver is so mm. high. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, it's a really interesting re- really interesting space to start a story I, I to go into. it is. And I really love biopics. I was having a conversation with Emma Westwood about biopics because she's not a big fan of them. Oh, really? For the, her, How did... her reasoning being <laughs> <laughs> that we often see them and take it as gospel, as this yeah. is what has actually happened when, you know, there's, there's liberties being taken and things like that. But I, I love biopics for the reason that I thought this was a fantastic film on so many levels, is that this is a part of history that... I knew nothing about. Mm-hmm. Um, and I've come away from that, obviously, you know, with a big chunk of education from it that I can look into. I found it really um, interesting. There's a They talk about a documentary that's peppered throughout this film, which is called Eyes on the Prize. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> I actually watched all of that last Did year. You? So it's highly recommended. It's 14 hours. It's, it's easily accessible. Um, it's actually, it's all on YouTube. So for, for me watching, um, it, that documentary, it's probably the best overview of the civil rights movement that I've seen. So then to see it sort of interwoven mm. into this was really amazing. But, um, yeah, I just saw this last night. So it's, it, it is, it's, it's a huge film, um, on so many levels and it's tragic and we, you know, it's, a really clear exploration of systemic racism and also exploitation of people, yeah. of minorities. And, um, you know, how 
I shouldn't be shocked when I see these things, but it is always shocking to see them. Yeah. So was did it ring true um, following Eyes on the Prize? Like yeah, yeah, yeah. So there's those sort of um, reenactments that they've got throughout this film, but um, yeah, definitely did ring true. To mm. it. Reenactments it, of the interview from Eyes yeah, on the Prize. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah, yeah. And yeah. they and they finish. They finished Judas and the Black Messiah with with that footage mm. or parts of it, which which is very powerful, yeah. and with photographs yep. of yeah. of um of some of the real people, mm. uh, which is something that I think in historical film or biopics there's a real tendency to to, to quarantine the bad in the past. Mm. So you know it's just this cosy little fantasy world where racism or sexism or, or homophobia or something like that happened. But the end credits roll, and thank God we've solved that, you know. Yeah. Yeah. But there's, it doesn't let you off the hook, this mm. film, like uh, like plenty do. It's not neatly wrapped up by the end. Mm. I think that that's an especially – I can understand Emma's um, <laughs> uh, reluctance around we were, biopics. We were I'm, doing a commentary for a very, very different biopic <laughs> <laughs> this, but that was kind of yeah. her, her argument with it, which it's like, you know, I get it. I get mm. it as well, but I think that um, – Something that can be really powerful is sometimes fiction can get closer to the truth than a documentary. And I love documentary and I'm a big, big, big fan of it. And I will definitely check out Eyes on the Prize. Um, but I think something that reminded me of like that coupling of the real footage at the end, it reminds me of films where that's been done so powerfully. And I thought of um, Waltz with Bashir, the animated um, film from quite a few years ago, I think 2012, I might have that wrong. Um, it was a long time ago. And um, another film I was thinking of was Spike Lee's, um, uh, oh, what am I thinking of? The Black Klansman? Black Klansman. Yeah. yeah right. At the end there where it's just this kind of breaking through and where, how they're using that historical film footage. Um, I thought that's kind of what reminded me at the end, but that's just one part of this mm. very complex film. Um Will, I I feel like we, we've both – it's been a little while for us to process this. But, I mean, this is such an all-star lineup. What did you think of the performances and the casting choices? Everybody. I mean, it's – everybody's incredible in it. Daniel Kaluuya is yeah. – it's probably the best I've – the best I've seen him, Lakeith Stanfield. I mean, they were both in Get Out as yeah. well. Yeah, you yeah, know, yeah. Which I feel like might have been the first sort of mainstream film that, that really talked about – Racism from there's, a black perspective. There's been a really big spiral since Get Out has mm. been, what was that, 2017? Mm. And, um, yeah, and then we've had Black Klansman and Queen and Slim. Yes, and So yes. There, there has been this kind of big spiral, I think, since mm. then. Yeah. Mm. But also, and, oh, you just you mentioned Dominique Fishback, who plays yes. who plays uh, Fred's partner. Yeah, Who yeah, is yeah. just amazing and so non-Hollywood. Mm. You know, she just doesn't feel like that... Um, hanger-on girlfriend kind of role yep. that, a, that a Hollywood uh, film like this would, would normally would normally saddle you with. And, and the way in which they are able to communicate their relationship and the complexity of it, and really their relationship isn't the, um, you know, at the forefront. It's just weaved, weaved through it and yet there's so much um, believability to it and also intensity and especially, you know, something that really broke my heart was just the ages of these two men. So mm. in real life, um, Will, Will Wild Bill, the in, informant, he was 17 and um, the um, chairman was 21. Oh, like, so it's, it's horrific, isn't it? Also, yeah. all these events took place over about a year mm. or something or even yeah. less, which is easy to forget. Mm. But, I mean, the sort of narrative uh, device of her pregnancy being taking place over most of the film, yep. you know, yeah. Yeah. hammers that home. But, I mean, films like this generally muck around with the timeline, but I think this was quite... 
Oh, it was very tight. It was exceptional. Actually, just as a, we're, we're focused, and I suppose there's a tendency with biopics to focus into the, the real life um, story behind it. But formally, this film is exceptional. Like, yeah. it stands out, like, straight away from the opening. I think the opening credits are so powerful. Mm. And it's got this really clear um, sound design to it. And I think just visually, it's so tightly made. Mm. Um, the sound design amazed. was exceptional. Mm. Yeah. I haven't actually seen um, Shaka King's other well, film. I, yeah, mm. so I did a bit of a research because I also hadn't seen mm. any of his stuff. The only other one that I remembered was this short film that he did with, <clears throat> pardon me, with Stanfield, which was um, <laughs> this weird one called Laserism, which was about um, white people suddenly can't see... Colour is it? I can't remember. It's a while ago that I saw it. Are they, they're blind to black people. That's is right. that right? Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah, yeah. Um, I haven't seen Newlyweeds, but just reading up about his other work, it seemed to be much more into kind of this stoner comedy. So it's kind of amazing that mm. he's created this really powerful political biopic. I think a lot of the film is held together by the power of um of Kaluuya's uh, central performance like I played a bit of that speech and there's something about the cadence of his talking that is just so powerful and really wraps into wraps around the whole film and holds it together but then all of these smaller parts like Plemons I always really like Plemons on screen but I don't think this is like his best performance but he's actually really good he doesn't have that much screen time I think the real standouts for me are Stanfield and and Kaluuya um, yeah. Have they both been nominated for awards? Because I'm so, really yeah, behind. So I'll go it's through a weird awards. one. It's pretty amazing. So best motion picture of the year is what that's been nominated for. Um, best performance by an actor in a supporting role, which is Daniel Kaluuya. And then um, – and that – also, there's a nomination for Stanfield under that same one. And this will, if they, this is the first film so with more than... they nominated for supporting actors. Yeah. There is no lead yeah. in this film, yeah. apparently. So, okay. which is kind of interesting because I was thinking Black about blindness. this. I was looking... <laughs> Sorry, but... I was looking, yes. I was looking at the um, film poster and you can see that Kalulia is like way more in the front. I think he's the obvious Because the visually <laughs> he's being stabbed in the back. <laughs> yeah, so, he yeah. needs to be at the front. But... Maybe. I, I mean, like, who's yeah. the lead? Okay. Yeah, that, that's um, I, well, clearly Kaluuya. The yeah. co-leads, yeah. really, they should both be in best lead. Yeah, but. absolutely. Yeah, so this is the first mm. film with more than two African-American producers to be nominated at the Academy Awards for Best Picture, and it's also the first bet, Best Picture nominee to have all black producers. Um, if um, if these two, if, like, if it ends up being... Um, I think it's actually the first time that two... Um, African-American men have been nominated in the Best Supporting. That's, it's something crazy. It's breaking insane. all these records for those sorts of things. I mean, look, it's an amazing... I hate the awards, to be honest. But it does tell us something about some shifts in, mm. in, oh, definitely. in, in what's yeah. happening. But and that's also why it feels so fresh. Yeah. yeah. And why even something like, um, you know, we're saying the lot's happened since Get Out mm. and yeah. even since Black Klansman, which feels probably dated. Yeah. In comparison. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. I think, yeah, there's so much in this film that it's actually really hard to unpack. I mean, I, I've watched this and I think one of the strongest scenes is there's a moment in which the chairman um, goes to the house of um, the mother of a young man who's been killed during during this. And I thought that that was such an important scene to include because something that really came across in the Black Lives Matter um, movement is the and this was included in a lot of the um, you know popular video clips that are like 
dealing with Black Lives Matter movement and where, you know, Beyonce had all of the women whose whose sons were killed by police brutality. And there was something about that scene that was so powerful. Mm. And I think that this film is really economic in those moments because there's so much to cover. It's such a difficult topic. It's not just about then. It's also about now. Mm. So, I don't know, it's masterful. There's mm. The moments of tenderness in this film I think were really mm. amazing. Um, the relationship that we were talking about before with um, Fred and Deborah, when that first kind of sparked up, I was like, oh, I hope this isn't going to be feeling tacked on or, yeah. you know, it's kind of just going to be this little side story. But you're right, Flick, that moment um, with the Black Panther's mother and mm. also these romantic moments, I think, that, yeah, this tenderness in this film was really needed because it is a really brutal film. Um, but also, yeah, it Gave it so much, I think. Yeah, mm. and I think it's impossible to separate the political from the personal. Of and course. I think yeah. that, um, yeah, this film really does a, a beautiful, beautiful job of just weaving in these different characters. And I don't think that, like, it's interesting. Stanfield's character, Wild Bill, is really quite an intriguing character. He is a black man who is an informant. Um, for the FBI in order to bring down the Black Panther movement. And mm. I thought that there was – it wasn't like he's this cardboard cutout villain. Um, no, absolutely. He's, he's actually Even pretty, from the word go, yeah. he's, he's charismatic. And he's he's very charismatic. You know. They play a lot with his um, – divided loyalties he really doesn't know which way to turn or that's sort of the way that he's performing it yeah although there's nothing really to indicate that he is uh i don't think in the script that he's um leaning more towards being a black panther than being an no. fbi reformer or that he's considering dropping yeah. dropping no, his, his plus job but um although th- he doesn't seem to be get, getting paid that much mm. for well, doing in comparison for, to what yeah, yeah, the, yeah all the other white fbi but but um it, it's uh it's interesting that they they're letting that um, filter in, like to mm. really complicate the narrative, because that's a true uh, sort of that's that's true that happened, yeah. you know. And also, it's ris- it's risky to be an activist. There's a lot mm. of there's and there's a lot of the violence that was used, um, you know, like that where it's just this tricky space. And I think mm. that the film doesn't shy away from that at any point. It's mm. incredibly violent. You mentioned Black Klansman before, yeah. which about a police officer, if people haven't seen it, um, a black police officer using a white surrogate to infiltrate the KKK mm. and um, break up the Klan. Very different film, can I just clarify? Very different film. <laughs> but the comparisons are always going to come yeah, out with yeah. this sort of thing. But the thing, I mean, that film really played fast and loose with the truth because it was it was portraying the police as this force to break, you know, breaking up the KKK and actually, you know... And um, although there was a lot of racism inside the police force, yeah. they were ultimately a force for good. Yeah. Um, but then I spoke to this is a bit of a digression here, but a while back the film "Sorry to Bother You." Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. Do you see that? Yes, yes I yeah, do. We covered yeah. that. <laughs> you covered I think I'll that. show you. I think I've yeah, watched everything did. Stanfield has been. Obsessed He's great, isn't he? Yeah, and it's very funny. Yeah. And it's very good. And I was talking to, I interviewed the director, oh, uh, Boots Riley, when that yeah. came out. And he, I think Black Klansman had just come out. It had, yeah. And he was not happy about Black Klansman. Oh, really? He was baffled by it because he said that that same uh, police force that were infiltrating the KKK were also infiltrating a labour movement that he was involved with. Oh, wow. Their slogan was smash the Klan. And he said they were trying to stop us from smashing the Klan. 
So, wow. and he was like, where did Spike get this story? You know, oh, has he yeah, not read the wow. book that it's based on, which says that they were playing both sides? Okay. Yeah. Um, and really that simplified it for the sake of, you know, giving the police an easy well, ride. For, well, this, or an easy narrative, yeah. you know. This almost brings us back to your opening point, Sal, about, or rather Emma's opening point, about it yeah. being, yeah, this kind of twist of, you know, the, the responsibility of the biopic. And it's true. I think uh, for me, like I mentioned, I really like biopics. And one thing that they always inspire me to do is to research actually, you know, the, the events that they're based on. But, I mean, not everybody's going to do that, and they do take them as gospel. I didn't know that about Black Klansman. It's and neither man. did I going yeah. into the interview, and I was mildly embarrassed. Yeah. That I- yeah. <clears throat> <laughs> oh, look, if I go, go on. We've been talking about Judas and the Black Messiah. Sorry, I was about to go on another little light rant, but I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to police myself. Um, Judas and the Black Messiah, I highly recommend this film. It's been nominated for a whole host of awards, but just go see it anyway because it's a beautiful, yeah, beautiful fantastic. piece of cinema. Um, it's currently screening at all major and independent cinemas in Australia. Triple R on FM, digital, online, via the app. Uh, you're tuned in to Primal Screen on Triple R with Sally Christie, our special guest reviewer, Will Cox, and myself, Flick Ford. We're basically doing all new releases. And, um, it's been a while since we've done three brand new releases. It's nice. So three excited. new films in yeah. the cinema. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Which is incredible. Cinemas. Remember those? Um, but hi. Yeah, we've got, um, we've got the next song, the next film we're going to talk about Um feel like it's a real change in pace. So I'm just going to... Um... We've got two films that are all about revolutionary yeah. things and then French exit. I know. I feel like we're making a... It's a big a... change in pace. It's a, yeah. I, um, I feel like usually people... Because we so often do themed yeah. episodes where I think that people are going to try to find the link. And you, I, I maybe got too deep into um, the research this week, but I was like, oh, there's all these links. But, you know, there's no links to French exit. They're, they're, like, they're new releases. They're all films. You can see them. They're all films of roughly two hours. (laughs) That's the theme. So, in case you were wondering, we're going to talk about French Exit. Here's a little clip from it. It's all gone. Every penny. What was your plan? My plan was to die before the money ran out, but I kept and keep not dying, and here I am. The hens are clucking. Are they saying I'm broke? They are. What about my apartment in Paris? It's just sitting empty. Have you told your mother about our engagement? We're going to Paris. Would you describe yourself as a coward? No. When I came to Paris the first time, Merci beaucoup. something sent up an alert. It was the presentiment of what was to come. We're going to lie down. Will you come visit us later? What's she paying you? Peng. Aren't you her gigolo? Oh, God, no. That's my mother. French Exit is a surreal comedy about an ageing Manhattan socialite, Frances Price, played by the ever-wonderful Michelle Pfeiffer. Uh, It's been nominated for... Sorry, she's been nominated for a Golden Globe Award for Best Actress um, in a motion picture comedy or musical. Um, The film, French Exit, follows Frances, who, after ploughing through the inheritance left by her dead husband, moves to a small apartment in Paris with her listless son, played by Lucas Hedges, and their cat. It's a film that's directed by Aziel Jacobs, and it's based on the novel of the same name by Patrick DeWitt. Um, This is now the third 
book adaptation of Patrick DeWitt's in which he has also written the screenplay. The other two films are Jacques Audiard, um, his film from 2018, uh, The Sisters Brothers, and 2011's Terry, which was also directed by Jacobs. Um, so I feel like um, we've got some mixed opinions just judging. I'm reading the room right now and I feel like... <laughs> Sal, I'm going to start with you because this was a film that you set- suggested for this week. I know. Um, none of us had seen it. So like this is, you know, just a an open, open pick. I actually... Um... <laughs> I think I'm, maybe I'm the only one here, but I actually really liked it. <laughs> the more I sat with it, the more I, I enjoyed it. I, I really liked how absurd this film allowed itself to be um, and how it kind of allowed, it, as it progressed, got more and more and more absurd. Um, Michelle Pfeiffer is... Oh, she's, she's exceptional. She's I, I genuinely phenomenal. do love and her. It's, why, why do we not have her on our screens more? Like... Why don't we? She's just incredible on every level. She really holds this film. She if does. it wasn't for Michelle Pfeiffer, um, I don't think I, I would have enjoyed this anywhere near as much as I did. She is incredible, and I also really like seeing her play this. Um, the char- her character it's Francis, isn't it? The Francis, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, that seems a little different to characters that she's previously played in the past. Um, Lucas Hedges is. I find him a bit one note. I don't. Yeah, he seems to be the same character in every film that he's in. Well, and yeah, I had high hopes. I sound like a disappointed mother. I had high <laughs> hopes for him, for but young I Lucas. thought, <laughs> yeah, I, he, I thought he was really excellent in um, Manhattan by the Sea. Yeah. Um, is that right? Manchester by the Sea. Manchester, Manchester by the Sea. Yeah. Manhattan by the Sea. Also is the is sequel. By the sea. Um, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, I um I loved him in Manchester by the Sea. I actually thought that he did a really mm. excellent job being up against, you know, Casey Affleck yeah. um, and matching him. Um, Pfeiffer is just exceptional on screen. Yeah. I wonder whether she just drowns him in this film. I, she, I think she drowns everybody in <laughs> yeah. this film. And I, I was watching it thinking anybody could be playing his role. Yeah. And I really feel like, yeah, he is getting that kind of one note, that same character he's playing in, you know, nearly everything that we see him in. But um, as this film progressed, it reminded me more and more of the Royal Tenenbaums. And we see these people that are completely disconnected from any sort of sense of reality and they're completely within their own little, you know, rich privilege bubble and have no idea of what's going on in the world. Um, Yeah, and I I kind of really um, found that as the film continued and more characters uh, became introduced and, you know, we got a sort of more than just the mother and son relationship happening to, as the film progressed. But um, as much as I enjoyed this, this has definitely f- had more style over substance. The heart that this Are you film... just talking about Pfeiffer's amazing fur jacket that she wears? <laughs> I actually, I'm anti-fur, but damn, that jacket looks nice. Yeah. <laughs> it might not have been beautiful. real fur. Yeah. Oh, come on. <laughs> but um, it, they've definitely tried to convey a sense of heart and emotion in this film, and I don't think that it was overly successful in doing that. Oh, but yeah. I don't think that, for me, it didn't take away from the film. Um, it having kind of being totally surface. I, yeah, I really liked this a lot more than I thought I would when it first, the first 15 minutes or so, so I was like, mm, I'm not going to dig this, but I did in the end. Yeah. Um, and in the red corner, we have <laughs> Will Cox. Almost <laughs> diametrically opposite. I, I, 
I loved Michelle Pfeiffer in it. I thought there were some really funny moments. Actually, I was a lot more on board in the first 15 minutes and then it started to feel to me like it was being made up as it went I've, along. I've got, a, um, I've got a confession to make on air. I actually missed the first five minutes of this film. Do you want us to tell you what yeah. happened now? <laughs> Maybe off air. Okay, so Michelle Pfeiffer. I kind of pieced it together, but I was also like, oh, perhaps a crucial film the not to have missed. The trailer fills you in on a lot. But, um, I, yeah, I just I didn't really understand what it was getting at most of the time. I understand that, yeah, like, um, like Sally said, the um, Royal Tannenbaums, Connection. And yeah, it did feel like Lucas Hedges thought he was in a Wes Anderson film. But yeah, he's, totally. even, even just not. listening back to that clip that you played, then flick the um, the dialogue between Lucas Hedges and his fiance sounded exactly like it was lifted from and, a Wes Anderson. Clip. And the and the framing of their scenes together, all yep. centre framing, all mm. super balanced. Like, yep. yeah, I I think it's a little bit confused as to whether mm-hmm. it wants to be Wes Anderson. Halfway yeah, I think through, he was through. maybe the character was in a Wes Anderson film at school. In the uniform, <laughs> and then he was taken out of that, and that's why he doesn't seem to fit. He's it's co- real meta. I mean, look, yeah, I'd give Lucas Hedges a bit more credit because he, there's, he had nothing really to work with, I don't think. There was, yeah, that's there true. There was nothing going on. And the dialogue was so mannered. It was excruciating. It was even, even um, his relationship and his dedication to his mother, I don't think, was made very clear. No, I as don't. As to why no, he... That wasn't earned at all, was no, it? No, yeah, yeah. I, I, I do agree. Yep, definitely. And also, the, I mean, I don't want to ruin it for listeners, so here's a slight spoiler, but there's this one bit where um, Francis goes on this big dialogue about why he should actually really, you know, love his father. And I was like, uh, what? And, no, his father <laughs> seems a bit shit. The father yeah. who we yeah. never really got much of an indicator of prior to a, a very strange turn the film took about it halfway through, which yeah. I won't spoil as well. But, but uh, yeah, I don't know. Just none of it worked for me, I'm afraid. Like, I, I think it was trying to be Noel Coward, mm. you know, like rich people being debonair and, mm. and, and witty and, and a bit, you know, a bit nihilistic, but it came across more like Woody Allen. You know, it, it was got, just dated. Yeah. It was going for timeless <laughs> and it got dated. It actually reminded me a bit, and this is maybe just like rich people being listless and bored, but... Um, Igby Goes Down. Did you ever watch that? Yeah, no, yeah, I never, but yeah. I actually I genuinely love Igby Goes Down. Yep. So I was kind of hoping for that, and then I was like, oh, I and I don't know. I feel like when I saw it, I saw it on last night, and I feel like half the crowd. There was definitely some people who are enjoying this and having a good giggle. Mm. So people may get a kick out of this. Mm. Um, I don't think I laughed at all. <laughs> I really, I have to say, so I'm more on uh, Will's corner here. I really didn't like this film. Uh, I, I can. <laughs> I can totally understand why. It, it's even – there was a, a real lack of connection to, I think, any of the – even Michelle Pfeiffer's character. Like, I didn't come away feeling like I had any sympathy or connection or, you know, yeah. nothing really emoted in this I don't film. understand who they are. Yeah. Who? Mm. Why, why do we care about what happens to well, Michelle Pfeiffer's that's character? Because we don't know really know anything yeah. about her. Because, yeah, that, that's it. Like, coming away from it, it's like I didn't care what happened to her character. I, I did enjoy the film, but I wasn't there that yeah. real sense of connection it, it seemed to be, there. yeah, like I said, it seemed. I felt like it was making it up as it went along, yep. and then it became this big ensemble thing, and then the ensemble started falling. Away. Like, where did these other characters come you from? Know, like, yeah, why are they still there? Why is she still staying um, in the house? Why is the the private investigator <laughs> staying in the house? You know what? I actually feel like <clears throat> this is. Um, I think this is a fault of. I think I just don't like Patrick Dewitt's writing. Yeah, I'm I gonna can, say I haven't seen the other Patrick Dewitt films. I, I think mm, I'd be. 
far more forgiving of this in a novel or yeah. in a stage play, yeah, I which think it, it felt would. like a lot yeah. of the time. Yeah, it did. Well, I, I saw The Sisters Brothers and I hate that film so much. Oh, really? <laughs> so it makes me think, like, maybe I just don't like his screenplay. I don't think it works. Mm. I, I, I feel like this is a really stilted film, I feel like. Stilted um, and cliched. Yeah, But yeah. the cliches, I mean, it, there was a line two-thirds of the way through, which is not a spoiler, so I'll just skip it to you. <laughs> Someone says very portentiously, a cliche is a story so old that it's grown thrilling in its retelling. Oh, my it's God. Like, are, you, yeah. are you talking about this film? Are you trying to <laughs> lampshade the total failure yeah. of this film it's to present us yeah. in anything original because yeah. it's not working? Because I thought, oh, maybe it's going to... It's going to give us something new now. Or it's, nah. it, it knows that it is somehow a comment on this kind of thoroughly told Hollywood story of rich people being bored. But it doesn't. Yeah. It just ran away from my, that immediately. My favourite thing that I heard, and I'm going to quote this complete stranger that I heard walking out of the same um, screening I was in, she, um, she loudly announced to the person she went and saw this film with, um, I'm madly disappointed in that film. <laughs> madly <laughs> yeah. disappointed. And I was um, like, same. <laughs> I laughed a couple of times. I thought the trailer looked, I thought, oh, this would be good. Why haven't I, I heard about I this? Thought, yeah, well. I thought yeah. that too. Oh, we I all got like, excited. This looks great. This looks yeah. fun. And then uh, when I was like, I am madly disappointed in this film. <laughs> the one guy was, when I saw this um, on Thursday, it was myself and there was two other women in the cinema and as we were leaving the first comment I heard is do you think she's had work done? They're <laughs> like, oh, talking come about you. On. No. <laughs> very rude. You do look very fresh faced now, <laughs> I have to admit. I mean I think that's oh that's almost a topic for another day, isn't yeah, it? Know, women women like, on screen being I was like, uh, okay, that's the, the, the comment we come away with from Michelle Pfeiffer's performance oh, in that. <laughs> that's another thing, can I just say I think that is one of the I didn't like this film, but um I think it's so wonderful seeing women of Michelle Pfeiffer's age on screen and bloody owning it. Like well, it has she's been exceptional in a, this. A long time since she's had a a lead, you know. Yeah, which has been yeah. I, I, don't, I don't even remember that. what her last lead was. She must have consciously stepped away for a while. I, I'm mm. just I'm sorry. I'm not really across my Michelle Pfeiffer, you know, biography, but. I'm just looking at her filmography and there's a four-year four gap or something in the middle, you know, before she turns up in Mother yeah. in 2017. Oh, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. She's, she's great in that, that as well. Mm. She, another she's... great, another dreadful film that she's great in. Yeah, but we won't. <laughs> well, stop opening up these cans of worms. We're talking about French Exit, or we have been talking about French Exit. Um, depending on which side you're on, you either really want to check it out or want to avoid it at all costs. Uh, it's currently screening at all independent and major cinemas. You're listening to Primal Screen on Triple R. Independently yours, Triple R. 102.7. Uh, we're doing a new releases special. We spoke about Judas and the Black Messiah at the top of the show and then just before we reviewed French Exit. Hey, Mum, what do uh, 16-year-olds care about? When I was 16, all I cared about was smashing the patriarchy and burning it all down. Oh, my God. Girls constitute a revolution. Did you hear rankings are already starting? Emma Cunningham's just going to get ranked most bangable for the second year in a row. Kira Pascal for best ass. Caitlin Price will take best rap. It's so nice not to be on anyone's radar. Totally. 
That was Amy Poehler's Moxie, based on a novel by Jennifer Mathieu and adapted to screen by Tamara Chestnut and Dylan Meyer. Moxie tells the story of a shy 16-year-old girl called Vivian who ends up fed up with the sexist and toxic culture at her high school. Inspired by her mum's rebellious past, Vivian anonymously publishes a zine that sparks a school-wide coming-of-age revolution. We were joking at the start that we've got um, two films that are about revolutionary movements. This is a film that was not at all on my radar and I watched the trailer and I was like, mm, not sure about this. But Will, I'm so glad you recommended it for tonight's show. Um, tell us a bit about what lured you into watching this on Netflix? Um, I was lured into this by the fact that it was, a, I think, a Friday night. It was on Netflix <laughs> and I wanted to watch something low impact and not traumatic in any way. And I thought, here's a, here's a gentle teen film that's all nostalgia and, and bikini kill and it might be a bit uplifting with all the zines and, you know, kids just doing it. I thought that would be cool. <laughs> and Actually, it's a good film. It's a yeah. good film. But, my God, it takes a turn that is, it, is, it, is not, um, it is not really what that trailer that you just no. played uh, tells you. Um, I think people would watch the automatic playing trailer on Netflix and think, this looks fun. And then you get into the to the rape culture, into the culture of sexual assault. It's and it becomes very confronting. Yeah. But it went places I didn't expect. Mm. But I, I thought it was great. I mean, yeah. like by and large, you know, I thought it was great as a teen film. You know, in this very much like an established sort of genre of teen film. Um, I watched the documentary Beyond Clueless recently. Have you no, either I of you haven't. seen that? Yeah. No. So it's a film essay. Um, by Charlie Lyon. It's about 80s, 90s, 90s, 2000s teen film. So it's it's entirely made up of clips from teen films and it just um, just takes them apart and deconstructs them basically. Oh, my God, that and sounds amazing. It, it's I'm really interesting. It's really interesting. Just about high school basically. Yeah. What, you're mainly American film or I think maybe entirely American film about what high school um, is or has been in film for that decade and a half or so. Well, there's so and many this... markers of the high school film in this. Like yeah. that opening scene mm. is actually but identical to Greece. You the slow mo, the slow mo <laughs> yeah. walking through the school at all the different, yeah. looking at all the different subgenres and you know like cliques and burgeoning subcultures and things. That's straight out of I, I recognise that from Beyond Clueless. There's yeah. several films that do that. Oh, totally. It's Mean Girls. Donnie Darko as well. Yeah. yeah, yeah, totally. Donnie Darko does yeah. it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There's so many. Yeah, I think there's something. I never thought that I would have this. Um, uh, love of high school teen films. I did. Uh, I feel like there's been a lot that have been done quite badly, and like so many bad ones. I love that this is not that. that no, this is there's, like there's several good ones, and this yeah. is one of those. Yeah. yeah, I feel like um any any film that's going to bring the bikini killing right feel <laughs> to a new generation is is worthy of a watch. But I I'd heard you know I'd heard about this film, but I, I hadn't watched it. And I'm really glad that I did. Like, we discussed Mean Girls last yes. year, Flick. Yeah, And I, I that. feel that this really picks up on a lot of the failings that we talked yes. about there. Um, it, by no means was this a perfect movie, but I think it's a really important film for um, young people. And I think it's a really important film for what is happening right now. Um, it's It really highlights very clearly for young people how this behaviour of rape culture is really normalised in high schools mm. um, and in society. And 
I think it captures really well how small those movements mm. can be. It can be yeah. just a look or a touch or a comment. It um, Microaggressions. Yeah. So, yeah. And I don't think that we get that in cinema a lot for young people to take that away. And I think that does that really, really well. Um, coinciding with the release of this film in uh, on Netflix in Australia, there has been a lot of young women that have been calling out their schools on rape culture. Oh, amazing. And there's a big but shift. Really as a result of the film? Well... Or coming off the back of it? Coming off the back of yeah. it. Um, there is... Uh, a, there was a big article on The Age last week. There's been online petitions that were started by um, high school students in Sydney calling out um, their schools with, you know, I guess lack of action with sexual assaults that have happened there. Um, with men at their schools. There's also today has just been um, announced that a consent is going to be mandatory to be taught in schools mm. and that's come off student female student action. Um, and, yeah, so it, this, this film I think is really quite important and has started really important conversations with young women and I think... Netflix having that kind of fluffy lean into it <laughs> yeah. is, is not such a bad Maybe thing. Maybe that's not yeah. a bad thing. Yeah. There's one particular character, one particular really vile character in this film. Mm. Uh, how I, w- I was really impressed that the film didn't let him off easily. Yes. Um, and actually captured villainy, that kind of villainy, yep. in such a clever way because mm. I think that it's really hard. Sometimes, you know, when you're watching films like this and you're like, oh, yeah, obviously he's the bad guy, but I actually think that the way they created him mm. – it was disgusting. so believable. Unfortunately, it was really relatable as yeah, well, yeah. where you're like, I know men like that mm-hmm. or boys like that. And he is a Schwarzenegger. Yeah, he's yeah. Arnie's son. And he's also a Kennedy because he's... <laughs> is he really? He's, yeah, yeah, yeah. He's like Greg, oh, grand course. uncle or something was JFK. Wow. So he's this all-American yeah, perfect wow. boy, you know, yeah, so it's perfect casting. I just saw the Kennedy connection earlier today. Mm. I didn't know that about, mm. yeah, the Kennedy connection. That's, he's that's so well cast. Casting, yeah. yeah, he's so well cast. And I think that it really – I found it kind of uncomfortable, actually, those, those moments, especially when he's harassing Hugely. the new girl and I just thought – yeah, well, I think they like you were saying so, and it did. I did think about our review of Mean Girls yeah. because both of us were kind of calling out that Tina Fey's brand of feminism sometimes uh, has been a bit lacking. It kind of really comes across as white feminism, and I think that and often not that intersectional. And I have a few issues with with her particular style of of feminism. Having said that, Amy Poehler. I mean, like they're obviously two very different women, but. You know, you couple them together because they, they are comedy partners. Yep. They've done heaps of collaborations together. I feel like Polar's film here is so – it occupies such a different space and it might be just being slightly more woke in, you know, line of recent events and, and kind of just mm. more literacy around sexual assault and the ways that we should talk about that. But also just feminism as being intersectional. Like I think it makes a real big effort – of thinking about disability, thinking about race, thinking about um, cultural differences and poverty and, like, it actually goes to those places. Um, I thought that actually the mother-daughter relationship, like Polar plays the mum in, mm. in this film, I thought that was so well captured and I found it incredibly relatable having been a very angry punk teen and having all these really confusing messages of of what it means to be a woman and also just feeling uh, this rage this deep deep sense of rage Mm. um and not feeling like you could necessarily do something about it and i think they really capture that exceptionally well and 
yeah, I don't know. I was surprised about how much I got into this. I mean, it's got a great soundtrack again. Yeah. Um, I, I yeah. think it's weird because Amy Poehler, you know, directs it and she plays the mum. Yeah. And she plays the mum as someone who used to be an activist and used to be mm. very on with these sorts of things, but evidently hasn't even really had a conversation with her own daughter about it. Yeah. yeah. I feel and she seems to have given up a bit. Her character mm. quite interesting in that she took such a backseat in mm. every kind of way, mm. you know, she didn't dominate the film at all. But I, I thought that too. I was like, would you really be, yeah, like you were saying, not, not even have a conversation with your daughter about this? It, or- sexism uh, seems to be completely taking um, the lead by surprise. Yes. I, I can't remember her name, the, the lead. But it can, seems to be completely oh, taking it by surprise. Vivian, and her, yep. yeah, yeah, that's right, Vivian. And her mum is just like, oh, yeah, yeah, there is that, isn't yeah. there? <laughs> And yeah, I've got really all these bikini kill me. posters on the wall and I forgot to mention yeah. to you that you've got to watch out for, <laughs> yeah. for this. Yeah. yeah, I do agree. That that part was maybe lacking. It, um, but it, it kind of makes up for, I think, in other anchors. Like the, I thought the female friendship was really believable, yeah. that kind of intensity. And I also thought that, you know, teen film has to have a crush, crush narrative. I thought that was really believable and really beautiful and quite progressive. And I, I thought the way the right that... It handled that that it looked at teen sex was yeah. um, really you know not sitting there saying that don't do this this is bad this is you know I think that handled that in quite a progressive way as well. Well, at yeah. the centre, it's a it's a discussion or really a breaking open of consent of thinking about mm-hmm. what consent means and I don't know if I actually another side I feel like there's actually so much more to talk about in this film but. Um, I thought that Moxie did an excellent job of not having the female characters turn against each other at any point. And there's moments when they do fight and there's obviously tension and everything like that. But the women, or the young women in this, in this are not played to up against each other as, as opposites or anything like that. I think mm-hmm. it, it was very relatable and very beautiful in a lot of ways. It doesn't go into the real complexities of things in the, you know, the... It's a bit reductive and it's a bit mm, earnest, yeah. but that's that's teenagers, yeah, it's a, and which is know, pretty much accurate. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, I think that, that I kind of was into it. I think, and I was surprised by how into it I was. Um, we've been chatting about Moxie, and it's currently streaming on Netflix. You're listening to Primal Screen on Triple R. Triple R. You've been listening to Primal Screen on Triple R with me, Flick Ford, the wonderful Sally Christie, plus our special guest reviewer, Will Cox. We reviewed Shaka King's uh, powerful biopic, Judas and the Black Messiah, followed by Azazel Jacobs' French Exit, both of which are currently screening at major and independent cinemas in Australia. And we just finished up there with Amy Poehler's radical teen flick, Moxie, which is currently streaming on Netflix. I'm very sad to announce that Sal is going to be taking some time off um, the show this year. So next week, we're going to do a very special Sally Christie send-off. <laughs> so, so make sure you check out our socials to see what three films she has in store for you. Um, I just want to say a big thanks to Morty Osborne. She edits our podcast every week. It's been an absolute pleasure returning back to the cinema and being able to do new releases. Will, thank you so much for coming on. It's all right. Thanks for having me. Oh, you're always welcome. I'm just like still excited about being in the studio. We should go for another hour. (laughs) (laughs) Thanks for listening to Primal Screen, a weekly radio show airing Monday evenings on Triple R. Hope you've enjoyed the podcast version and feel free to get in touch via the Primal Screen Facebook page or the Triple R website. 